This is Kari Gale. And this is Tony Critz. Welcome to the Pilgrim Lost Podcast, a space for those who wander and wonder. For centuries, pilgrims have been walking the Camino Frances of the Camino de Santiago from France through northern Spain to the city of Santiago. This is our conversation about a typical day in the life when walking the Camino de Santiago as a pilgrim. If you haven't heard part one, please go back and listen, but we'll pick up here with part two in Kari's discussion of art and discovery and community on the Camino de Santiago. And one of the other things, too, is just wherever I sat down was what I drew. So I didn't wander about the town looking for the best view or the best thing to draw. It was really what was directly in front of me. And so this idea of being present. And just I'm going to jump in here. Jump in. So Kari's actually published two books with her sketches from these experiences. And I think the metaphor of of sketching what's right in front of you as opposed to finding the most iconic or postcard moment, but just seeing the beauty and the sacredness in the very typical, the very like the very average place along the way is, is a profound metaphor of what we're trying to do with Pilgrim Lost is it's not about finding the perfect. It really is about mining the perfect that exists in the mundane and that's why I really love this metaphor. And if you haven't had a chance to see her books, you, you need to look those up. And uh, So what's your website? Carigale.com. Carigale, G-A-L-E.com. K-A-R-I-G-A-L-E.com. <laughs> so anyway, keep going. Uh, I, I love what you just said, mining the perfect and the mundane. See, this is what happens, you guys. He says these things, and I'm like, write that down. Write that down. Uh, and and ju- just to take a moment and that concept has become sort of in my art and I hope in my life experience is to that that has become sort of my mission statement like how do I how do I um how do I be present to what is right in front of me and I just finished doing a project um yes it was on Instagram but it was uh it's called a hundred day project and the idea was that I would draw a hundred days of ordinary objects, things that were right in front of me. So I ended up doing uh, can openers and uh, avocados, avocados, and um, anything that I had. First, well, at first I was really just going to do things in my tiny house, but I ran out of things in my tiny house because it's a hundred days and I don't have a lot in here. Um, but it was a really rich experience because it right. really was playing that out. So. And this idea of believing that there's sacredness all around us at all times. Absolutely. And that started, that was first birthed for me on the Camino. And and really because of that that uh, necessary need of sitting down and waiting for my sister to arrive. So she can take full credit for that. She was she's she's she was the muse. Um, so after that after that we would go and we would right. and oh, I just wanna yeah, point out in. just another thing is Here's this thing that, that normally would be considered as an inconvenience. So much of our life is an inconvenience. So much of survival is inconvenience. And to go, no, I, I refuse to see things as inconvenience. I see all things as an opportunity 
to engage the divine, to engage the sacred. I just think it's really, these are really great metaphors of life. Okay, sorry. No, and I, I, I'm going to, again, I'm going to jump jump on that because sitting down and drawing, I cannot tell you how many conversations I had. Oh, yeah. I cannot tell you how many people stopped and talked with me and shared stories with me. And it, uh, some people don't like drawing out in public because it is, people are curious. They want to know what you're doing. Um, for me, it was a really lovely way to engage with the people around me um, in a, in a, in not an overwhelmingly in your face way, but if they were curious, they would come in and, and talk with me and, and share their story and sit down with me for a bit. And it was, um, it was lovely. It was a lovely um, sort of non-intrusive way to start up a conversation, like a silent, a silent way to start a conversation. And to this oh. day, I, um, I, I still do that. And I, I love painting in public because it, it just, it, it just forces you to have conversations with people that you wouldn't normally have conversations with. Yeah, I want to I want to table this topic because relationships is a whole yes. big issue I want to discuss at some point. But so talk through the rest of the day. So you guys, yeah. Would get, so would she she'd arrive with uh, where I was. We would um, we would head back to the albergue. We would shower, which was always so just hot water after a twenty mile walk. Oh if my! They have it. Okay. <laughs> Maybe lukewarm water where you'd have to keep hitting that little thingy to get the hot water out. But no matter what it was, you were so grateful for it. Um, you'd shower, uh, and then you would embark on finding dinner. And the lovely thing about most of the towns is they would have either in the hostel or very near to the hostel. Most there was restaurants. They all were catering to pilgrims because one thing about the Camino is the path that you walk is not really... Uh, it's not a it's it's not a tourist destination. There are a few towns along the way. The larger towns, for example, like Burgos or Leon, Pamplona. Pamplona, those are tourist destinations. But the little tiny towns that you walk through, no one's going there for any other reason. So um, it's a cottage industry. It's absolutely, and that the whole economy is built around um, the pilgrimage. And so the restaurants are all. Um, you walk into the restaurant and and they are catering to to pilgrims and and what we I don't know it's it's yeah it's, and I would you know I, maybe I'm I'm too much of a poet but I just saw it as this this communal commitment to hospitality like there's just a whole village that goes no we're going to care for strangers we will never see again and I would say the vast vast majority I had a few experiences I, as I you did too, yeah. that you would remember but the vast majority of the time it you were greeted with kindness and sweetness and care and it really did affect you in a in a way that you hadn't I have never experienced that before yeah. um, so you'd have dinner usually there's a pilgrim menu which would be a three-course menu it's amazing <laughs> i just it's amazing Keep a three-course menu uh where the first course was uh ensalada okay i'm not really sure where all the vegetables in spain go but they don't end up on a pilgrim menu you have kind of a, a salad uh or a soup or a soup or a macaroni or a macaroni for that first course then uh Second course is always a choice, a big slab of meat and some patatas fritas, yes. which are, for those of you that don't get that, it's French fries <laughs> and they're greasy and they're good. And you think, I'll never eat all of that. And of course you always do. Always. 
Um, you're burning through calories. I mean, you're walking 15, 20 miles a day. You're starving. And basically for breakfast, you had, you know, a piece of bread. And so FYI, I got down to my college weight for the first time since college. <laughs> I mean, you're burning a lot of calories. Okay. So ironically, I gained weight on the Camino. <laughs> I don't know how that's possible. The reason why, the reason why, number one, my sister was on a hunt for all the ice cream believe, ice cream bar flavors that they had at the time. Okay. So we had a couple ice creams a day, which I hadn't really been eating before, and the bread. I'd no, I don't really eat yeah, bread. I'm not a bread person. And but I ate bread like piles of bread on the Camino. So I was, yeah. I mean, I, it wasn't bad, it wasn't bad, but I did gain weight. So there you go. But I just come off my divorce as well. And I had been really like not eating a lot. So there's lots of excuses, but I, I gained weight. I think I might've been the only one. Uh, so I kind of missed lunch. I, no, I think I talked about lunch. That's good. But lunch lunch usually was like a, a sandwich, like a, yeah. a bocadillo. It wasn't very big. So by the time you get to dinner, you are starving. You eat all that. And then you have a third course, which is usually a dessert, which could be, if you're lucky, a homemade pastry or dessert of the region or most likely it'd be a little kind of a yogurty cup of like a fake flan fake flan fake flan and Good but time. here is the best part of the here whole meal <laughs> unlimited wine they just bring bottle after bottle after bottle it's not always true <laughs> um i think it was for me <laughs> they liked me better than you because i got all the wine i wanted pretty but much you do you get like a you got like a half bottle or a bottle yeah like, to each person yeah of my sister at one point cautioned me because she thought i was drinking more wine than water and i said that's that's my plan i am i'm fulfilling my plan um and the wine crazily enough it doesn't really matter it's all really good it's all really good wine. Um, the funny thing was, is when we got a little closer to Santiago, um, we actually toured a winery in the um, region that makes Mencia, Mencia wine. And um, do you remember the small town of Cacabelos? I don't remember names of towns. You know that about me. I'm the guy who didn't buy a book. <laughs> That's true. Um, but we got to tour a winery and the lovely lady there, it was very interesting. She said, Spain is a country that makes incredible wine and most of the people in the country don't know how to drink it well hmm. so they put their red wine all of it in the fridge and um, it's very strange so it was it was really interesting but almost every wine that I I can't remember a bad wine getting a bad wine and this was their kind of their cheap table wine clearly they're giving bottles and bottles and bottles of it to pilgrims but it's always quite delicious um, and then uh, you know, if you had a few hours, usually you would have a few hours before dinner and I would usually finish my drawing. But what I loved about the drawing process for me was I would be able to sit at a table and draw and talk with people. So it was something, it was like, you know, if someone else is a knitter, they knit while they talk. I was drawing and painting and being able to be social with people. You have dinner and then usually people are pretty darn tired and they head back to their hostel and they get ready for bed and then they hit the hay because you're exhausted. Right. Sometimes, you know, you might meet a wonderful group of people and you might say, let's go to a bar and have another drink and or we'll, we'll go back to the hostel, we'll grab another bottle of wine and you'll have a, a social time. But for the vast majority of nights, you're, you are in bed asleep by 10 o'clock. And there a, are people who are in bed at like 8.30. Oh, yeah. There's... And, yeah, but by ten o'clock, yeah, you're. you're and you're most of the hostels shut their doors at ten, so you you need to be back by ten. There was the occasional youngster, you know, who might have been a post college grad who was looking for a party, and they would f try to find one. But 
they it was hard you're hard pressed to find a party on the Camino because everyone yeah. is so tired um, which I was perfectly fine with um, and then you get up and you start the whole thing all over again um, the one thing I didn't mention is after you shower generally you wash your clothes because you only have a few pieces of clothing um, so for example I brought three pairs of socks so I was wearing one I was drying one and then I washed one that night. So the one I wore, I would take off and wash. So you're kind of in a constant circulation of clothes and underwear, socks and underwear. And then occasionally a hostel would have a washer dryer that you would be super excited to get everything really clean because usually you're washing it in a sink with your hand soap and or your your Dr. Dr. Bronner's soap or whatever it is you have with you. And um, that was a big part of the day because if it was really... Um, it was a really interesting thing because there was all these pieces and if you didn't do all of them, you would be screwed the next day. Like if you didn't take care of your feet, if you didn't right. wash your clothes, if you didn't eat well, if you didn't get good rest, you had to really um, take care of yourself in a way that I hadn't ever before in my life. Yeah. And I think feet is a really good metaphor for that. So true. I mean, there's... I mean, I, I would just be reiterating a lot of what you said to talk through my typical day. Um, the things I would add was one was there's an insane amount of your life is spent on foot care, which you told me and you warned me about. And of course, the first week I didn't believe you because I showed up without, without, without training. And I just, it's like, I'm just going to walk the thing. And, um, and I paid for it. I paid for Side it. note, Tony is typical of many people who are very athletic people who are like i'm fine i've always been pretty fine doing athletic things right. i'll just do this thing it's so true it's so true i just sort of trust that i can do things and um by and large i could i mean i i walked you know long days and um i did okay even as i'm i'm 48 so i'm i'm not a young man anymore uh but foot care was the big thing that i learned the hard way then you spend a lot of your life caring for your feet and um, making sure that you have always multiple pairs of clean socks and change your socks on the way. And it was a 15-minute ritual every morning. Now, it wasn't true in the first day, but it was true the 10th day, you know, to care for my feet because they blew up on me. The trauma that happens to your feet every day is amazing. So that was a huge part of my life. And then um, one thing I would just add is the pilgrim meal is one of the great gifts of, of being on the Camino. You get to sit at a family style table most nights surrounded by people. And inevitably there's 12 people and there's eight countries represented. And, you know, English ends up being sort of the lingua franca of the table. And um, you just get to sit and, um, I, I often played host because I wanted, I just wanted people to, to, to chat. And so I would just say, Hey, everybody, let's go around the table and, you know, say where you're from and how you ended up on the Camino. And it's just amazing to hear people's stories. And you've got people at the table who are 22 and people who are 70. I can't tell you the, there was, there was this group of, they had to have been 70 year old women that I walked the Camino with. And inevitably, so I would leave pretty early. I would leave you know, 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning. Too early. 
too, too early. I would leave then and inevitably around 8.30, I would pass the same group of women and they were walking half as fast as I was. And we would say, we would greet and they, you know, spoke limited English and- Where um, were they from? What country? Uh, I don't know, actually. A mm. couple of them were Asian and a couple okay. of them were white. And I would see them the next day. And what that means is they're walking half the pace that I am. So that means that they're getting up an hour, hour and a half before I am. But I, you would stay in the same towns. And, yes. And, Holy and I crap. would pass them, you know, every day for five or six days in a row. And that means that they're going, they're walking the 20, 22 miles that I am each day, but they're walking it at an eight mile an hour pace and i'm walking at a four mile an hour pace and you know they're just and they're wearing their packs they're not they're not sending them ahead they're they're doing the work no wait you did that backwards two miles an hour yes i was like wait that would be really fast no no you're right i'm slow at math but i'm like wow (laughs) (laughs) yeah no they've got to be walking two two miles miles an hour okay two miles an hour and i'm walking four miles there we go yeah, makes more sense. So they've got to be walking nine hours a day where yeah. I'm walking four miles a day or whatever. And anyway, amazing. And just all these sweet people and their sweet stories. And I I think the like going going to that pilgrim meal, I think the one of the biggest things that I learned in the pilgrim meal and then throughout is this idea of you could never tell. I think that I, you know, we, we're all as as human beings. We, we're constant judgment makers. We look at someone, we right. decide who they are, where they come from, potentially. You know, we unfortunately we're like, am I? Uh, where am I in relationship to this person? Am I? Am I? Am I more successful? Less successful? We do all these mm. judgment like immediately, mm. which I hate about myself. Uh, and one of the things I absolutely loved is you couldn't tell. You could have a millionaire sitting next to you, and he was wearing the same clothes as you. He looked just as dirty and just as tired. Uh, and so you you made a lot less judgments, at least I did, on the Camino about who people were. You allowed them to open up their mouths and tell you about themselves before you judged them, because there wasn't really a way to judge who they were. I mean, you kind of could say, oh, they're from Germany, they're from France, they're from the, the U.S., I always judge the U.S. people a little bit because they were always so loud. <laughs> but for the most part, you you couldn't really make more judgments than that um, unless you actually had a chance to spend some time with them. And so that that idea of sitting down with this group of people at dinner and really hearing, um, oh my goodness, this person is is this? They are an artist, or they're a wanderer, or they are a doctor, or they're a trauma surgeon and you just have no idea and it kind of gives you this um glimpse into what it's like to engage with people without that precursory um right space of of deciding who they are before you know so we live in a world of efficiency and production and timelines and deadlines and on the Camino, there is a very real sensation that time stops. And each day, the same thing happens. And simultaneously, it's an utterly new experience. And it's very rare in the human 
experience to to see things to to have that happen it's it's really really fascinating and um and for me it put me in what i can only describe as a long-term hypnotic state mm-hmm. and the the walking and the stopping and the resting and the eating with this group of strangers created a rhythm a hypnotic rhythm of life that was such a blessing it it allowed my soul and my mind to climb back in my forgotten files to go into the attic of my files and just to sort of thumb through life and the things I'd never take the time to think about and the the lost things and the precious things and the painful things. And over weeks and weeks and weeks, you find yourself suddenly stumbling into the city of Santiago de Compostela. Kari, what was it like for you when you walked into the city for the first time and walked into the square and the cathedral and all of that. Mm. In actuality, I I had sort of been preparing, you know, we all like as you're walking, then especially the last like 10 days. Yeah, you're counting. You're, you're counting, you're counting down and um uh the actually, there, we had walked in with friends that we had been walking with for a while, and so it was kind of, a, you know, I mean, almost everybody has a reunion story in the square, um, or moments after they, you're constantly running into people you hadn't seen for weeks, and there they are, and it's, it's this incredibly weird space because these people that you maybe you bunked with on the first night out of Saint John. And then you see them, you had a conversation and then you see them in the square and you run toward them like you're they're your long lost yeah. brother or sister. Yeah. And I that to me was really, really um new. Um I don't my family isn't super emotional. We don't share emotion very easily. And so to have shared emotion with strangers on the Camino in a in a way that I'd never done with my family or my parents was was freeing and lovely. And so that that celebration of first of all just having completed something so to me that was so epic, but it was almost just uh, as much of a celebration to have had these relationships and being being able to engage with this vast a variety of people in a way that um that felt more connected than my own family mm. um which is both beautiful and very sad at the same time right. um it wasn't until a few days later uh that i really had those i didn't cry in the square i didn't there are many people that have very emotional moments there i didn't cry in the plaza um Me i it was a little bit, I tend to not have emotional moments surrounded by tons of people. And because we're, you're surrounded by tons of people, I, I needed some time to process it. And, uh, but it was, it was a beautiful day. And um, the second time I arrived, 
when I walked the Camino Portugues. I walked in a season that wasn't very common and I was walking, uh, it was it was raining that day and I ended up, there was virtually nobody, nobody there. And I walked in with zero fanfare from the opposite side. <laughs> and so it felt, that actually felt to me more appropriate mm. than the first time um, to be alone and to have walked the Camino alone most of the, the way really right. feeling more isolated. So um, I think it was interesting to have that comparison of those two experiences. How about you? Yeah, I mean, one thing that that's different about our experience is you walked with your sister, I walked alone, and I intentionally walked alone. I, um, I, because I walk at a fast pace, I didn't, uh, I spent maybe 10% of my total time walking with somebody else along the Camino, and I really like that. And um, that's just me. I, I'm, I'm an introvert who who uh, <clears throat> lives his life as if he's an extrovert. And uh, my my experience of walking into the square there at the at the cathedral was very similar. It was overcast, and it was it had been raining most of the morning, and I'd got up really early and walked in the dark. Uh, most of the way and I had a glorified vision of walking in at sunrise and uh, it just wasn't that it was it was very simple and it was and I, I went into the cathedral and I sat through mass and it was it was very nice but I think my my real moment happened when um, so in the cathedral it's one of, it's one of it's one of the larger cathedrals in Europe and they have multiple masses every day for and, and one of the little side one of the little side chapels they have an English service every morning at 10 a.m. and I can remember going to the English service and just sitting with um, and, and listening to the mass with an African priest doing the service and I that was the first time that I think I really I think it was because I don't speak Spanish, you know, and so to hear, to hear the sacred ancient words of the journey of faith that had been repeated over and over and over again, and it had saturated the walls, you know, with the life and sweat and blood of all these people that had, that had done this thing and to hear this very non-charismatic African man bestow this gift of sacredness and sacrifice and history and God's love for me and this, it's a little tiny side chapel. You know, there were 40 people jammed into a space that was created to seat 20. And just to sit, you know, we're all just huddled together, shoulder to shoulder, and there's barely enough room. And you just walk through those ancient words. Was when sort of the the trip sort of uh, sort of rooted, mm. you know, and the experience rooted yeah. itself for me. And I, I mean, I'm a very, I love, 
ancient and I love sign and symbol and I, I love old faith. And I tarried in Santiago for a total of like five days and I went to mass probably 10 times while I was mm -hmm. there in English and in Spanish. And I loved it. I loved, you know, a whole aspect of this we haven't even discussed is this idea of walking in the footsteps of so many millions of people that have gone before and this and from all over the world and sharing their story and placing your feet in the same places that they place their feet and listening to the same bells ring in every village that they listen to and going to the same mass in each town and um, being cared for by the same villagers along the way. It's just really significant. And, uh, and it's a parable. It's a parable of what it means to be human. We really are not alone. And what I love best about religion, what I love best about Christianity is we all come to the same table and we gather together with people mystically from across the world and throughout time, we gather together at the same table and we have the same experience. We say we want to believe in a better world. We want to believe that God loves us and knows us. And we want to believe that we were created to, to, to love the stranger. That's what we were created for. And so much of the Camino is about that. And that's when sort of it really rooted itself. It wasn't the grandeur of the square or even the main mm. cathedral. It was a little side chapel with an, with an African priest where that, where that kind of sort of was most clearly expressed. Mm. I think a lot of people will have had that, whatever that element was, whatever that moment was, like it wasn't probably the square for most people. It was that, yeah. that moment along the way, whatever that piece was that, that shifted that, that space, that moment in their mind that became something that you used the word earlier, a rebirth in some way, mm -hmm. that, that's the thing that, that will take them back. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing that we're looking for mm -hmm. yeah. now in Thank this moment. Thank you for walking with us. To stay connected, visit us at pilgrimlost.com. Please comment, share, and respond.